Hello, hello, hi everyone. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I always hate, hate, hate saying that at, at the start. I need to have a catchphrase. Can someone please let me know a catchphrase that I can say because I'm absolutely mortified every time I say like, "How is everyone?" It sounds so cringy, and it's just absolutely awful. So please let me know if you've got any suggestions. So, I have my cup of tea at the ready. You know the essentials. I have my OJ stuff at the ready, ready to tell you all about the OJ Simpson case. So I did this for my EPQ, which if you don't know what that is, like in sixth form, some schools get like the chance to um, do the EPQ, which is um, an extended project, which is like worth half an A level. And it's basically where you do like a 5,000 word essay on something that you're really interested in. So I mentioned in my last podcast, like, when I was going to uni, like, Leeds rejected me because I didn't talk about a case, but, like, I fully had this case written, like, back to front. Like, I know the ins and outs of this case. And, like, they didn't even read it. So, you know what? Still not better, but kind of am. Um, but, yeah, so I am going to give you the ins and outs of the O.J. Simpson case. And did he get away with murder? That is the burning question. Uh, I remember reading somewhere, I don't have the exact figures, but the statistics have rose to like 93% of our generation, which is Generation Z, is it? Z? Generation Z? Is that us? Um, Like 93% of us think he was guilty, whereas in the 90s when it happened, it was like 70% or something? Or 60? Something like that. I'll find out the statistics and let you know at the end. But, yeah, it's much more popular for people to believe that he is guilty. But I feel like that's because nowadays you only really get told why he's guilty and you don't actually hear why he's innocent. So I'm going to split it up into... So I want to tell you the facts and everything, what happened that night of June 12th in 1984. Um, But I'm going to explain to you the reasons why OJ Simpson could be guilty and the reasons why he could be innocent. And it is so interesting and... As well, you never really hear about any alternative suspects because everyone just thinks, oh, the O.J. Simpson case. So you don't hear about alternative suspects, but there's actually quite a few. Well, there's two main ones. Well, there's two main ones that I'm going to talk about anyway. And that is so interesting to read about. So stay tuned until the end if you want to hear the alternative theories of who done it. And you can hear my opinion as to what I think really happened because my opinion differs from a lot of people's. I always used to think OJ Simpson did it, but keep listening and you will hear all. You will hear absolutely all. I've um, had so much work to do this week, so it's so good to just sit down and talk about something that interests me instead of EU law, which is absolutely burning my brain out right now. Um, And I would also love to do further cases in the future, so any suggestions are welcome. And I want to do like, um, you know, what happened to Amy Winehouse, what happened to Whitney Houston, you know, theories about their deaths other than like the story that was reported. And all stuff like that. So, yeah. Let me know if you have any suggestions. Okay. So, O.J. Simpson was a son. He was a husband, a father. And he had tons of friends. And he was admired by the whole of America. Because he was well-renowned as being an American footballer. And he was an NFL superstar. He was born in 1947 in San Francisco in California. And he married Nicole Brown Simpson. Who was a waitress and a teenager when they met bit controversial I know they met in 1985 and they had two children named Sydney and Ryan but they were kept out of the public eye and they were often only appeared in photos with the couple 
Nicole's life completely changed when she met OJ because she was in front of a camera and in all photos they would never fail to smile at each other and the cameras and like she was head over heels for him and so was he so everyone thought but in 1992, Nicole actually filed for divorce seven years after they'd met because their marriage was falling apart for multiple reasons that will be mentioned later in detail. So there was two years of constant battles between OJ and Nicole regarding like custody of the children. Um, Nicole had like a lot of fears about OJ and like you know his him as a person, and their love was still back and forth like they were still seeing each other even though they'd been divorced but then after two years Nicole Brown Simpson was murdered alongside her friend Ronald Goldman and this triggered the trial of the century as it was been known so she'd been brutally brutally murdered alongside Ronald Goldman in 1994 outside of her own house So it was no shock to the nation when there was an arrest out for OJ, literally hours after the police had discovered the crime scene. And he was ordered to surrender at 11am on June 17th. But then the nation was completely divided because this was their once loved NFL superstar and everyone loved him. So the question arose as to was OJ guilty or was he innocent? So I'm going to tell you a bit about the night that the murders... Sorry, my mic cut out a little bit there, but the night that the murders happened. So it was June 12th, 1994. Nicole had gone out for a meal with some of her friends at six o'clock at a restaurant called Mezzaluna. And after they left, Nicole's mother realised she'd left her glasses. And so Ronald Goldman, the other friend that was murdered, um, went back to Mezzaluna to retrieve the glasses. So swapped to OJ... In between 9 to 9.30, uh, OJ had a friend called Kato and they went to McDonald's together for dinner and by 9.45, they returned home. So, it's important to note that at 10.15, so this is only half an hour after OJ and Kato arrived back at their house, neighbours of Nicole's house reported that they could hear a dog barking and it sounded like it was in distress. So Katie was staying in the guest house behind OJ's home and he claimed that around 10.40 he heard some loud bumps on the wall where he was staying. So OJ was meant to be departing for Chicago at 11.45 but Alan Parker, who was OJ's limo driver, knocked at the door when he was meant to be departing for the airport and he buzzed the intercom multiple times in between 10.40 and 10.55, but there was no answer. So, Alan Parker reports that just before 11 o'clock, 20 minutes after he was meant to get picked up to go to Chicago, Parker claims to have seen a shadowy figure around 6 foot tall, 200 pounds, walking across the driveway towards OJ's house. And once the figure was out of sight... Parker buzzed the intercom again and OJ finally answered and he claimed that he overslept. Obviously, you can't see me, but I'm putting that in quotation marks because, you know, bit suspicious, isn't it? However, Parker accepted this, obviously, because didn't realise anyone had been murdered by this point. And OJ went ahead with his flight at 11.45 to Chicago. So the bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson, 35, and Ronald Goldman, 25, were found just after midnight the next day outside of her home and at the crime scene there were three really important objects I'm going to need you to remember because I'm going to mention them a bit later. So there was a bloody glove, a knitted hat and a bloody footprint. 
so the police had arrived at OJ's house at 5am on June 13th, which is the, the early morning after the murders. But it was discovered he wasn't at home because obviously he was in Chicago. So according to Marsha Clark, who was the lead prosecutor on the case, Detective Ron Phillips was the first person to inform OJ that his wife was dead over the phone because he was in Chicago. And this will shock a lot of people because not many people know about this, but he didn't ask how she died or what happened. He simply said, who killed her? Now, if I had a family member that had died, I wouldn't say who killed her. I would ask what happened or I'd just burst out crying probably. But I wouldn't assume they'd been murdered because who on earth like assumes that like that's the last thing that would cross my mind because it's just rare isn't it that you have a family member get murdered like anyway that's important to note so oj was eventually questioned uh for three hours before he was released but he was later charged on the 17th of june for double homicide this is five days after the murders so this is iconic because this is when the biggest car chase of the century took place so al cowlins was driving a car with oj simpson in the back seat and it was in the notorious white bronco that oj simpson drove and it was the most famous slow speed car chases in tv history because al cowlins told the police that he didn't stop because oj was holding a gun to his head because he was suicidal So, if you didn't know, Robert Kardashian was actually on the defence team for OJ Simpson, which is eventually how the Kardashians' name got out there, because they were family friends. Like, um, Nicole was friends with Chris, and then the kids, obviously, were friends with the other kids, and then OJ and um, Rob Kardashian were friends. So, he was the lawyer on the case, because he was a friend, so we obviously trusted him to defend his case. So, um, Rob Kardashian revealed that he had left a note, a suicide note, from OJ, So I'm going to read a little bit of it now. So it says, don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life, great friends. Please think of me as the real OJ and not this lost person. Thanks for making my life special. I hope I helped yours. Peace and love, OJ. So that is interesting. He also says in the note that he had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. And there is a recorded phone call between homicide detective Tom Lang and OJ when OJ was in the car And OJ talks about himself always getting hurt and all he did was love her. And eventually, OJ actually surrendered to the police at 8.50. It was such a long car chase and it was recorded on, you know, live television. And everyone was like, what is he going to do? Is he going to kill himself? Is he going to come out of this? So he did eventually come out of it. But OJ claims that he wanted to commit suicide next to Nicole's grave as he claims the grief and stress was too much. So it's a question of, you know, was this real? Was this a guilty conscience or was it to cover his own tracks to make people feel sorry for him? But, oh, cheeky little beep outside. (laughs) So, the trial began and it used over, this actually makes me feel so sick, it used over $15 million just on the defence's side and it took over 50,000 pages of trial transcripts. So, OJ's preliminary hearing, which is like the hearing before the trial, was held on June 20th in court where Simpson claimed that he was 100% not guilty. So, he was later referred to the Superior Court where his trial was held by Judge Lance Aito due to the seriousness of the charges, but we'll get into Judge Lance Aito later on. During the trial, 
there were many strengths and problems that arose from the prosecution team specifically because at the beginning of the trial it seemed like they had it in the bag they had an extremely strong case especially since the morning that the LAPD issued a warrant for OJ's arrest and he fled so it made him look even more suspicious but as the trial continued the prosecution were getting outrun by in quotes the dream team this is the name that um, OJ's defence team was referred as because they were just so good. The defence was made up of such successful lawyers like Robert Shapiro, Johnny Cochran, Rob Kardashian. Rob Kardashian, I'm pretty sure, didn't actually work in this type of law, but he knew enough about it to defend OJ because obviously they were friends and he wanted somebody he could trust on the team. Also, if you haven't watched um, The People vs. OJ Simpson on Netflix, I recommend you watch it. I watched that after... I did my EPQ and it would have been so much more beneficial for me to have that um, with my EPQ. So if you want to listen to this and then go watch that show, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best shows I've ever watched. Like, incredible. So the defence were known for, you know, getting people off with the biggest of crimes. And the prosecution were already at their limit because... I'll explain it soon like the makeup the makeup of the jury is such a different process to the UK like they're allowed to like choose their jury which is crazy if you ask me but I'll get into that in a bit so on the 9th of September in 1994 the prosecution team announced that they weren't going to seek the death penalty and instead just wanted life imprisonment without the chance of parole if he was convicted and by the 26th of September 1994 the jurors began to report for duty as the trial commenced. So the jury was made up of eight black people, one Hispanic person, one white person, and two mixed race people. On January 9th, Judge Lance Aito tells the jury members that they are to meet at a secret location where they will be held for the duration of the double murder trial. So they didn't know at the time, but they were actually held there for eight months without any contact with the outside world, which obviously is going to have a toll on, you know, the verdict, because they're going to want to make a verdict so quick in order to get out. So that's another issue that comes into play later. Okay, on to the nitty gritty stuff. So I'm going to tell you why OJ Simpson is guilty. All the reasons, including the motive, the timeline of events, his domestic abuse history, the DNA evidence, a interesting part with a Louis Vuitton bag that's also a documentary on Netflix that you should watch, and also something called the OJ Excuse. So, first we're going to talk about motive. So, OJ and Nicole were on a break during the time of the murders, and he had heard from a source that Nicole and Ron were actually getting extremely close, meaning possibly more than friends, but Ronald Goldman did deny that at the time. But what if OJ lost control, you know, over the thoughts of Nicole and Goldman being together? This could have been OJ's motive for the murders. I mean, we know he was possessive. So um, in the trial, Nicole's sister testified that OJ had said, this is where babies come from, while he was grabbing Nicole's crotch in front of everybody. And then he said, and it's all mine. So I know if my boyfriend did that to me, um, he would be getting a swift fist to the face because there is no way I would ever ever let anyone talk to me like that um and she accepted it because apparently that was normal in the relationship which obviously it's not but it was a toxic relationship and this is you know an example of his possessiveness so 
it's not really that far-fetched to think that he would get jealous over her having a new boyfriend, especially since even though they'd got a divorce, they were still on and off and seeing each other. So the next reason is the timeline of events. So the neighbours said that they heard Nicole's dog barking and seeming in distress at about 10.15. So it was likely due to the fact that it's seen its dead owner on the ground and this would give OJ Simpson enough time to clean himself up and get back to the house to greet the limo driver by 11pm. The way that these events line up is so suspicious and it means that OJ doesn't have a strong alibi for the murders as nobody can back up that he was actually asleep and then in the shower and it's very coincidental the whole thing isn't it that you know a shadowy figure walks across the lawn and then as soon as that that shadowy figure has been seen he answers the door you know so in my opinion it's quite clearly could have been OJ coming back into the building and then he answers and he's like oh I've been in the shower but obviously he hasn't been in the shower he's been murdering his ex-wife obviously this is just a theory I'm not accusing you OJ don't sue me (laughs) so that's a really important part the fact that the timeline doesn't link up next for a reason he's guilty this is a huge one um he actually had a huge list of domestic abuse history against Nicole so before the murders the police had received multiple calls from the Simpson household including nine police visits to their residence due to domestic disturbance calls and In 1989, one contains Nicole screaming, he's going to beat the shit out of me. And she was hysterical. You can listen to it on YouTube. It's available in documentaries. And OJ was found guilty for spousal abuse. However, he did plead no contest to the charges. So this is another reason why OJ could be guilty because we've seen that he has, you know, previously been violent towards Nicole and she was definitely afraid of him you know calling the police shows that you're you're in fear and it wasn't a one-off occasion where he just lost his temper he was consistently violent on nine reported incidents and that's not including the ones when Nicole didn't call the police so Marsha Clark and the prosecution team presented photos of Nicole with bruises and blood all down her face from which was claimed when OJ abused her which is obviously so so sad but OJ denied this and said that Nicole was wearing makeup, she was an attention seeker. And obviously, this sounds like a bit of an excuse. I mean, she has to, you know, get these taken. Um, what's the word? Like by experts, basically. Like experts will take these photos. And I mean, you can really tell the difference between a bit of makeup and a bruise. Like, especially because the fact makeup comes off, a bruise doesn't. So. That's a really important part, the fact that he has a violent tendencies towards her. And his only way out of this was to lie rather than confess because obviously confessing would not work in his his behaviour, his behaviour, in his favour. So he had to lie. So the next part is the DNA evidence. So remember me talking about the bloody glove I told you to remember? I hope you remembered. There was a bloody glove that was found at the scene and it had the DNA of Nicole... Ron and OJ on it, right? So this glove matched a glove that was found on OJ's estate behind the guest house where Cato was staying and where Cato claims to have been hearing loud bumps at 10.40, which we could have, we could assume that it's, o, it's OJ returning from the crime scene and trying to hide one of the gloves, which would explain why it was found there. So bear in mind, DNA testing is 99.9% accurate. So... 
both the gloves were f- that were found at the crime scene and the glove that was found at, o- at OJ's estate matched all three of OJ, Ron and Nicole. So the question is, if OJ was innocent, why and how was his DNA found on the gloves worn by the killer? I mean, I'd have a pretty hard time explaining that if that were me. So furthermore, a suspicious cut was found on OJ Simpson's finger after the murders, which would explain, you know, why OJ's blood was found at the crime scene and maybe he'd injured himself during the murders because a knife was used so he could have cut himself easily. So remember me saying about the hat that was found? So the hat that was found at the crime scene had hair fibres in it and it was proven to be OJ's. And in OJ's residence, there was blood on a pair of black socks that were found in his room that were contaminated with blood that was proven to be Nicole's. So, I mean, probably most of you have pretty much made your mind up now. If you didn't already know the facts, you'd probably be like, of course he killed him. Like, like it's it's so, so obvious right now. And the knife that was predicted to have been used to kill Goldman and Brown was a type of knife that OJ had previously purchased. However, the knife and the shoes were never found because there was a bloody suit shoe print that was found at the scene that matched OJ's size 12 feet and shoes that he owned, but obviously the shoes were never found, so they couldn't be used as evidence. So a blood spot, 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 was found to be Nicole's, was found on his white Bronco. You know that car that was involved in the infamous car chase? Yeah, there was a blood spot on it that was found to be Nicole's. So why was it there if he hadn't done anything? So when you put all this DNA evidence together, you can't really say anything other than guilty unless you're, you know, a massive OJ fan and you can disprove every single one of these, which, you know, simply is really hard. But in law, you don't have to disprove the prosecution's case. You just have to cast reasonable doubt. So all the defence needed to do was cause a bit of doubt in the minds. But we'll get onto that in a minute. So the second to last bit which you know talks about why he's guilty is actually something that not many people know about but it's absolutely crucial because it was never mentioned in court because it couldn't be because it actually wasn't discovered the evidence for this until after the trial so there was this Louis Vuitton bag. If you've heard of this you are definitely as interested in this case as me because I had to dig deep to find this. So when O.J. Simpson returned from Chicago, he had this Louis Vuitton bag and he was just whispering to Robert Kardashian. And if you look at the footage, it's on YouTube. You can type in O.J. Simpson, Louis Vuitton bag, Rob Kardashian, Louis Vuitton bag, and it will come up. And he is like whispering and Rob Kardashian looks startled like they both do. He hands the bag to Rob Kardashian. Rob Kardashian walks off with the bag and the bag is never seen again. Never. And when Rob Kardashian was confronted about it, um, loads of photographers like, you know, went up to him, what happened to the Louis Vuitton bag? What happened to the Louis Vuitton bag? He was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, he said that he didn't know where it was. They didn't know where it was. They never found it again. So there's a theory that OJ had his bloody clothes in from the murder in that bag. And the damning evidence for this is that Rob Kardashian actually admitted it on his deathbed and said that OJ did it. And Rob Kardashian would be the only person that truly knew because he was the one who handled the Louis Vuitton bag. The rest of his defence team didn't. They didn't. They weren't even there when the bag was handed. 
to him because it was when he just got back before he had any lawyers or anything but Rob Kardashian it would be the only one who would know and he said on his deathbed that OJ did it and he was also very reluctant towards the end to be friends with OJ which would explain why because you know OJ had admitted that he killed Nicole and everything so that's really damning evidence. If I would really recommend you go and watch the evidence because it is crazy. Like you literally think like, oh my god, like how did no one see this? And like, it's it's not even like um someone someone is recording Robert Kardashian walking away with the bag. Like it's just in the background. People just noticed it. Um, the guy who recorded the footage noticed it later on. Um, after the trial and like obviously there's a thing called double jeopardy which means that you can't be charged for the same crime and America have it as well as us and OJ couldn't be charged for murder again because he got away with murder so well if he did it and yeah that's a really big part so the last one is the OJ excuse which a lot of people oh sorry this, this is the second to last one I forgot there's also another thing but it's a bit small but anyway the OJ excuse is something that also not many people know about which is a disease known as I can't even say it it's called a chronic traumatic encephalopathy right commonly known as CTE so we're going to call it that like C for Claire T for Troy and E for envelope so the theory is commonly referred to as OJ's excuse for the murders because the theory is based on a part of the brain that is commonly found in footballers where obviously OJ's career as a football player comes in. So CTE is a disease that was discovered in, only in 2002 by a forensic pathologist called Dr. Bennett Amarlo and he says that footballers can inherit and get traumatic brain injury which can increase any individual's pr- propensity to engage in violent and criminal behaviour. So it's caused by like large impacts to the cranium and it results in a protein surplus in the blood vessels in the brain which affects cognitive function and leads to a loss of neurons. So it can cause depression, mood swings, violent tendencies and criminal behaviour, all which OJ possessed. So the only problem is CTA can only be tested after death. OJ is so lucky the way he gets away with all these things. So we will never know if OJ has CTA until he dies because you need to like dissect the brain in order to find it. You can't get it from a brain scan. Hopefully in the future that we will be able to at one point but right now technology just can't. So um, the evidence for CTA comes from three NFL players who actually committed suicide and they were found to have CTA after death. Obviously, it's a new thing. We're still discovering more about it. But Dr. Bennett Amalu says that he would bet his whole medical license that OJ has CTE. And Dr. Amalu is a, you know, reliable, credible source because he has so many qualifications. Many other doctors have supported his idea of CTE and it's been medically proven. And his discovery was that big of a deal that a film was literally created about it called Concussion and it starred Will Smith. So it was big in Hollywood. But the problem is the theory can't be brought to light until after OJ's death. So if OJ does have CTA, it can't be used against him in court because the case can't be brought back up to light. Well, it actually can. You can actually bring up um, a case and, you know, charge him for the same crime if new compelling evidence is brought to light. However, we won't know until he dies and we can't charge a dead man. So it's one of them. We'll only find out until after which is crazy, like, like, we could find out if OJ did commit the murders, like, with a medical, medically backed reason, but only after he dies, like, that lucky sod, that lucky, lucky sod, 
So the final thing, if you aren't already convinced by OJ's, you know, guilt, he actually wrote a book after the trial called If I Did It. So this created so much suspicion. So remember me just talking about double jeopardy where you can't be charged for the same crime? There's loads of theories that he actually wrote this because he knew he couldn't be charged again. So he wrote a book of a hypothetical account of the murders. I know, what a weird thing to do. So he actually wrote a book, like, like planning out how he would have done it if he did it, aka the name, if I did it. So the book was actually thrown out before it reached shelves, but then publishers announced that all the money was going to go to Ronald Goldblum's family. So it was published again, which is a bit crazy. It's such a, you know, hypocritical thing. Like, talking about the murder of the son, but the profits from the book is going to the family. Like, what? So the book concentrates on how Nicole was the instigator of the fights and him and Nicole Brown had had that many fights were accidental on OJ's behalf and he goes to talk about how Nicole was obsessed with them getting back together and how they did try and make the relationship work but Simpson says this about Nicole, this is important, listen to this. I was doing my best to stay away from Nicole. I wasn't going anywhere near that woman. I was sick and tired of her shit. If she wanted to take herself down, that was one thing, but I wasn't going to let her take me down with her. So obviously he talks about her in kind of a, you know, bit of a grim manner. Not like somebody he's been married to, somebody he's got like a bit of past with, which, you know, in my eyes, this entire book just makes Simpson look so guilty. Because if you were innocent, you would want to be as careful as possible when releasing information and speeches you make to the public. Never mind releasing a book about a hypothetical account of the way the murders could have happened. Like, there's real, really no answer as to why Simpson released this book, apart from to maybe raise money for the Goldman family, but, you know, the book is talking about a hypothetical way Ronald Goldman could have been murdered. So it's so ironic to donate and make the bus book the sole purpose for donations. Like, oh, it's just so weird. So, if anything, I think this is evidence to show that OJ's guilty because it displays the rather criminal mind that he possessed and maybe this was his way of telling the story so it felt like a bit of a weight had lifted off his shoulders and he felt less guilty. That's what I'm thinking. So, if you're not convinced by the book If I Did It, the CTE, the DNA, the domestic abuse history, the timeline and the motive, I've got some reasons as to why he's innocent. These are reasons I personally believe he could be innocent but also like people in the public sorry I've just hiccuped (laughs) people in the public um think that he's innocent and also reasons that the defense rose in court so obviously we have the evidence that proves he's guilty but there's also evidence that proves that he could be innocent so when the evidence was collected from the crime scene aka you know the glove the blood splatters and everything it wasn't packaged correctly Now, this is crucial for any DNA evidence because otherwise it can be contaminated or the evidence can, you know, be eradicated by overheating or being too cold, something like that. So, evidence was left in a van, which caused it to overheat overnight. And obviously, this created so much doubt and led the defence team to suggest the crime scene was contaminated, which obviously, any, any sort of, you know, detective would make sure that the evidence was safe. That's the most crucial part, is is the evidence. And it wasn't safe. So this was a huge mistake on the prosecution side and, you know, the DNA team and everything. So this mistake meant that reliable or fair 
uses of this would not work in OJ's favour and it wouldn't be fair to present evidence that's been contaminated because you wouldn't do that in other cases so why should they do it in this case so a lot of evidence was you know discredited and thrown out that would have been used to you know convince the jury of his guilt secondly we've got the glove so you know the blue glove i was talking about that had the blood splatter of oj i had ron and nicole and the other glove was found on oj's estate yeah well this got disproved as well so he owned the same type of gloves and the other glove was found behind the guest house, wasn't it? So in the trial, prosecutor Christopher Darden, who worked alongside Marsha Clark, decided that there was no doubt that the gloves were his because when you think of it, anyone in their right mind would realise these are OJ's gloves. One was found on his estate. The blood splatter was found on the gloves. Everything. Like, it was so obvious. So he decided to prove it to the jury by requesting OJ to try on the glove. Guess what? The glove didn't fit. The glove was too small. So the defence were actually really clever because they manipulated the prosecution team into thinking that trying on the glove would prove OJ to be guilty. So the defence team, you know, did a bit of reverse psychology and they they pretended that they were reluctant and outraged at the thought of OJ trying on the glove. But OJ's lawyer, Robert Shapiro, had previously tried on the glove and it was too small for him. So he knew it would be too small for OJ because OJ had bigger hands than him. So they humiliated the prosecution team in front of the whole court, the whole nation, because this whole this whole trial was televised on TV, so everyone had an opinion. And, crucially, in front of the jury. So, there was big controversy about this because the prosecution team claimed that the glove had been frozen and unfrozen multiple times because that's a preservation method to keep the DNA. And it had been covered in blood, so it could have easily shrunk. But you know what? All the jury saw was that the glove didn't fit. And one of OJ's other lawyers was called Johnny Cochran. He was the main lawyer. He was excellent. Like, if I, if obviously I want to do law in the future, if I am anywhere near as good as that man, Christ, I'll be unstoppable. <laughs> and he came up with a famous phrase that sticks in my mind today. And it was, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. So obviously, all the blooming jury saw was the glove doesn't fit so he couldn't have been his gloves but I know if I was on the jury I would have narrowed my vision to the fact that the glove didn't fit I wouldn't have cared about the preservation method I'd have been like well the glove doesn't fit surely it can't shrink that much and it was such a struggle that it's all on YouTube that you can watch in it was such a struggle for him to get the glove on and it was like no one is gonna wear gloves that don't fit because he couldn't even move his fingers like so he's not gonna be able to wield a knife and stab somebody nearly decapitate Nicole Brown Simpson with gloves that don't fit. So, OJ tried to squeeze it on as far as he could and the jury could just see that it was a struggle. So, I think that the prosecution were trying to cover their tracks and find a loophole, but the defence team's strategy to prove to the jury and the public watching that the glove didn't fit was too dominating of evidence for the prosecution to even salvage themselves it was embarrassing and there was it felt like even at this point there was no way back so they really really needed something to you know come and salvage their entire case and it seemed like it was going to be so hard now considering at the start it seemed like this was an easy win so the next part is about race so this is such an important part of the defense's story because in 1992 there were actually race riots that remember this is only what um two years before the case is it yeah two years before the case and there were race riots because the los angeles police department actually 
committed the senseless beating of a black man called Rodney King and the police officers were acquitted of all charges. So LA was convinced that there was, you know, institutionalised racism, which there absolutely was. You know, this man was beaten so horrifically and police officers didn't get any, um, you know, type of retribution for it. So obviously the black community in LA was, you know, kind of sticking together because as they should, like, they were being, you know, treated differently because they were black, which is obviously completely wrong. And we're seeing it a little bit now as well with, you know, the brutal murder of George Floyd, which is um, arguably even worse because obviously a man died for um, a a fraudulent £20 note, which was absolutely ridiculous. And in in this... um, case Rodney King had done something wrong he'd been drunk driving but he all he needed was arrested he did not need to be brutally beaten sorry I'm getting really passionate now because I'm all into Black Lives Matter and everything so it's really really a passionate subject that I enjoy talking about because obviously no one should be ever be treated differently because of their skin colour anyway I'm going off on a tangent here making it way longer than it needs to be but there was obviously a lot of tension about race at this time so Johnny Cochran was a black man himself and he was part of the defence team and he was the lead lawyer and he wanted to use law enforcement racism as a strategy to acquit OJ and OJ was completely outraged with this at first. He didn't agree with this method because he didn't want to use a, I'll say this in quotes, a race card. Now, it sounds controversial, but when you hear the evidence, there's a lot of racism in this case that you know a lot of people would argue with and say no no they're just using an excuse but I disagree there is a lot of racism in this case which you will soon see that I'll explain so eventually Robert Shapiro another one of his lawyers he had like four lawyers I know um convinced him that this was OJ's last chance for acquittal it was the only thing that was going to cast a serious amount of doubt in the juror's mind and I'll talk about the drawing in, in a minute but remember me saying how you know a lot of black people wanted to stick together and the jury was made up of eight eight black members so this is important for later on but I'll explain it soon so eventually eventually OJ was convinced he was like fine 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 we can bring racism into it so the defense showed a picture in court of OJ in handcuffs as soon as he got off his flight in Chicago and it showed the rush judgment of the LAPD in and the defense argued that this was because OJ was black which it definitely was because People aren't putting handcuffs straight away when they're like, you know, coming in peace. And it seems to be a lot more black people in general, not just OJ, are putting handcuffs in in this type of scenario. So there was racism within the case as well. So the case revolved around Detective Mark Furman, who swore an oath that he'd never use any racial slurs to describe a black man or, or a black woman. And Mark Furman was, you know, really high up on the prosecution's list for important witnesses. The reason he was so important is because he's actually the man who found the glove on OJ's estate because he was the first person to find anything. And he's the first person at the scene. Before, like, you know, all the detectives got there and all the um, people who were picking up the DNA, all forensics got there. Like, he saw it first and was the only one who saw it. So... Obviously, he'd denied ever using any racial slurs, ever. And then, the defence played a tape in court of him saying 40 racial slurs in one sitting. 
And as the tape was played in court, Marsha Clark on the prosecution team, she just sat with her head in her hands because she knew this was going to be ridiculously hard for her to salvage because Mark Furman was one of Marsha Clark's key witnesses. So obviously I just said Furman was one of the first men to step into OJ's house after the murders occurred and he claimed that the bloody glove was behind the guest house. But the defence suggested that he planted the glove and, you know, perhaps this meant that all the evidence that he touched was effectively tainted, which, you know, anyone would be like, oh, well, they've got a point here. So this ruined any chance of Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden using Detective Mark Furness as a witness, and he was the main witness. So if they wanted to save the case, they needed to think fast. So this casted serious doubt over the evidence, which was, you know, a huge part of the prosecution's case because the defence needed to do what was, you know, going to cause the jury to be in doubt. And OJ's guilt was, you know, completely in doubt at this point. And they felt like they'd, they'd already done their job. They knew they were going to win. So the prosecution at this point needed to make the jury believe that he was guilty beyond reasonable doubt. But evidence of Mark Furman showing that he was a racist, it made the case fall apart. And there was so much doubt at this point, not even just a little, but there was so much doubt. So another important part about why he's innocent, why why he was, you know, declared innocent, is the jury makeup. So during the selection process, at the start of the trial, the defence team were really careful as to who they wanted and, you know, who they chose to be on the jury. And it was no secret that the prosecution wanted white jurors and the defence wanted black jurors. And the prosecution specifically wanted white jurors, obviously because the Rodney, Rodney King killings, they thought that black jurors were more likely to acquit O.G. Simpson because, you know, they were kind of sticking together in a sense. I said that in quotes because that doesn't sound like the right way to say it, but I'm struggling how to come up with another word to describe it. But um, the defence specifically wanted black-dominated jurors because they thought that this would work in their favour because, obviously, if you hear a detective who's turned up to the estate and found the evidence, starts saying loads of racial slurs about your skin colour, you're not going to like the team that he's on, in naturally, obviously. And it was important to note that Marsha Clark wanted more men on the team than women because it was known before the jury took tests that it actually indicated that black women of the jury didn't like Nicole Simpson because they described her as money-grabbing from a famous black man and they were more hostile to Marsha Clark than men so it was like the prosecution team turned their attention more towards they wanted men whereas the defence team turned their attention to they wanted more black members of the jury, men or women. So that was the first mistake of the prosecution's team because they should have focused on race more than gender but I think this is crazy that you know they can choose their jury like they can they go and choose it as such so in the UK we get like random allocations don't we and like you have to do it then you don't get any choice of like you know who it is but they can bring people in and dismiss them and say I want this one I want this one let's bring that one in so they can manipulate it which is so unfair I think I think that's so ridiculous but in support of the fact that the jury swayed the decision decision the decision shows in like poll data that showed at the time most white people believed him to be guilty and most black people to believe him to be innocent so race played a you know massive massive 
role in this entire case. And the murders took place in Santa Monica, which was a predominantly white neighborhood. Neighborhood? State. State? Is it a state? I don't know. And the trial actually took place in downtown LA, which was predominantly black at the time. So this was a massive mistake for the prosecution in relation to race, but the jury was made up of eight black people, two mixed race people, one Hispanic person and only one white person. So it was, you know, very controversial in the sense that um, they thought there was bias in the jury without their meaning to be. And they were also taken on a tour around OJ's house. It's actually laughable, this part where the defence had created an illusion so manipulative, so they put pictures up and changed the way OJ's house looked and hanged on the wall, like, pictures of him and his family, him and his career, him and his friends, and they wanted to display how OJ had black and white friends displaying the diversity, which went down really well with the jury members. So Marsha Clark on the prosecution team, and the whole of the the prosecution team, actually, saw this as a manipulative, horrible move that you know, was a form of cheating, essentially, and masking the truth of OJ that swayed the jury's opinion. So, seeing OJ with friends and family made it almost impossible for the jury to see him as a killer. You know, this is, this is, you know, the big, loved NFL star, and he was seen as, you know, this, the juice, that was his name, everyone called him the juice, and he was friendly and always smiling. But what they, you know, failed to see was the bruises and the blood on Nicole's face, and, you know, he'd, he'd, beat her up and what you've got to remember is I sound like like such a like cringy YouTuber right now I'm listening to my voice because I get so passionate and like my voice changes and I get like you know my voice goes like this (laughs) so I sound really weird right now but bear with me and you know people were ignoring the way Nicole had been beaten up and this poor woman and poor man had at this point seemed like they died for nothing so After the case, OJ was found innocent. I know, infuriating when you don't know about alternative suspects or anything. It was absolutely infuriating for so many Americans. And when the result came out, there were people outside the courts. There were men and women crying because they were so upset that he'd been found innocent. And then there were men and women cheering, especially in, you know predominantly black neighborhoods there were men and women cheering and predominantly white neighborhoods they were crying because they were so upset but obviously that doesn't mean that all black people thought he was innocent and all white people thought he was guilty it was you know very mixed but just predominantly and people thought this was crazy but just a little note OJ actually went to prison um for 33 years after this for armed robbery so Shows that he did have criminal intent, but he actually did go for pri- to prison and he got released. I'm pretty sure it was two years ago, wasn't it? Two years ago? Hmm. I can't remember, but I'll have a look. Hang on, let me have a look. Ah, yes, he was released in October of 2017. So he's out and about again, so, you know, a bit crazy that, isn't it? But this is a really important part. I mean... You know, from the evidence, you can make up your mind whether you think OJ is innocent or guilty, but I think one of the most intriguing parts of the whole thing, which wasn't talked about in the case, is the alternative suspect. So, at the time, there was a famous serial killer called Glenn Rogers, who murdered women in 1995 and was suspected to have committed many more in states such as Mississippi, Kentucky, and he was on death row in Florida. So, 
Rogers reportedly admitted that the double homicide of Brown and Goldman was him and he even gave the police receipts to prove that he was in the area at the time of the 1994 murders. So, you know, murderers, well, they're like, they, God, that sounds so weird, like, oh, what are they like? But you know what I mean? Like, they, I say like so much, I've just realised. Sorry, going off on a tangent again. And murderers seem to, you know, want to take credit. And like, I don't really know, like, maybe it's a bit for a bit of street cred in prison make them a bit more scary i mean they're in prison anyway they might as well admit to loads and become notorious that seems like the vibe they're going for but rogers claimed that he was hired by oj so this still in, in, in both of the, of the theories still you know criminalize oj because he said that he he was hired to steal nicole's expensive earrings that oj got her and said told to kill her if she got in the way so Rogers went through with the murders step by step with private investigators and identified all the known and key information necessary. But the whole public knew all that information. That's important to note. So it's now known that Rogers may have been serving as six weeks in prison at the time of the murders. So he actually lied about it and he had nothing to lose. So he loved the idea of being infamous for the murders. So personally, I don't think this one's compelling. I don't think that Rogers did it. There was no evidence of the crime scene that pointed towards him and his motive has no explanation for the murder of Goldman. So Rogers being the murderer is a weak theory and it lacks so much validity and evidence. However, it's the next theory that captivated a lot of people. So this theory is about Jason Simpson, who was another suspect who was a very popular alternative suspect, who was OJ's son. But it's important to note that this entire theory is so circumstantial. So it came from a private investigator called Bill Deer, and he presented this theory in a book called OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It, which I'll explain now. The, you know, there's about mm, five points that kind of point in this direction. But again, completely circumstantial. And it's important to mention that because it's, you know, more of a story. You know, well, it could have happened if this happened type of thing. So at the time of the murders, Jason, OJ's son, but bear in mind, this wasn't Nicole's son. So OJ had had kids before he met Nicole. So it was the ex-wife's kids and he did not like Nicole Brown Simpson. Jason was on probation at the time of the murders for attacking his boss with a knife. I know, with a knife. And he had attacked his former girlfriend Jennifer Green and also his previous girlfriend Dee Dee who claimed that he'd almost broke her back when he threw her into a bathtub and he cut all her hair off with a knife. I know, what a psychopath this man is. Disgusting. Like, why would you do that? So, this gives not only Jason, you know, a criminal intent, but it gives him two reported assaults with a knife. That's only reported. And obviously a knife was the weapon used in the double homicide. And this aggression from Jason was one of the first pieces of evidence that has made me personally question OJ's guilt. Because the fact that Jason had experience in multiple knife crimes, whereas OJ had never been charged with harming anyone with a weapon. He'd only been charged with, you know, um, aggression, like fists aggression with uh, Nicole. And, you know, Jason had more experience in, you know, the art of using knives. So that's really important to know. The second point is um, Bill Deer had actually illegally obtained medical records. So he had done this illegally. That's important to know. But nevertheless, the documents are still right and they're still true. 
So he impersonated a doctor at a hospital that Jason was staying at, which obviously is so bad. But, you know, the important the important notice here is the fact that there's damning evidence in his medical records. So he discovered that Jason was actually diagnosed with intermittent rage disorder. And at the time of the murders, Jason had stopped taking his antipsychotic medis- medication. And he told doctors that he felt like he was, in quotes, going to rage. I know. So this gives Jason a clear motive and reason for the murders because it would be that he did it out of rage after losing control due to his disorder and he needed to take his anger out. So it was clearly capable of harming others. So who's to say that the murders weren't the final straw? Maybe he was walking past and he saw Nicole move on with Ronald Goldman, supposedly, so quickly after his dad and he lost it. He already didn't like her. What if he lost it last minute? I know very compelling but again circumstantial it's only like you know well if he was walking past across the cows he would have done this there's no actual evidence that he was at the scene of the crime or anything so the next bit is jason's alibi okay he was working at a restaurant at the night of the murders but his alibi was extremely flimsy so his report card was actually normally typed okay but on the night of the murders, it was handwritten. So if this report was handwritten, this gives Jason no alibi because it raises so much suspicion. Like, why was it handwritten? Was it forged? Was it forged after the death of Nicole um, Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman? Like, was it, was it done afterwards? Had he done this in order to, you know, make out that he was in, in at the time when he wasn't? And his staff actually said that he wasn't in work that day like this is very compelling if you ask me like this is crazy this is should have been mentioned so much earlier but obviously jason simpson has never been charged for or even put on trial or anything for the murder so it's just a theory but it's important so the last bit is there were pictures of jason um you know in the past wearing a knitted hat that had resemblance to one that was found at the crime scene. And those photos, very suspiciously, were only present before the murders and Jason was never pictured wearing the hat ever again after the murders, most likely because that hat at the scene could have been his. So assuming it was the same hat, this means that the hat Jason was wearing prior to the murders would likely have been the hat that the murderer wore. So obviously this increases the like 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 likelihood God, I've got a bit of a stutter. <laughs> when I walked for ages, I get a bit of a stutter. But this increases the likelihood of Jason being the murderer because there's no explanation as to why anybody else would be in possession of the hat. But again, this is all circumstantial. But it's important to note that actually OJ, obviously the hair fibres in um, the hat were found to be OJ's, weren't they? But because of like the DNA associated with father to son it is more likely to have been mixed up between, you know, a father and son than a stranger. So that DNA that was tested to be OJ's hair could have actually been his son's because of the close DNA, you know, resemblance. So that's really important to note. So Bill Deere explains that, well, if Jason Simpson's guilty, well, how does this explain OJ's erratic behaviour after? Like, it doesn't make sense. 
So he claims that OJ was only at the crime scene to protect his son, which explains, you know, his behaviour afterwards and gives him a reason for the DNA evidence as to why he would have been at the crime. Again, this theory is all circumstantial, but I'm going to give you, you know, a bit of a conclusion as to what possibly happened if OJ didn't commit the murders. So, if Jason Simpson, I'm going to just be a summary. I've already mentioned some of this, but I'm going to summarise it for you for the end of this podcast. I will be done soon. Don't worry. I know this, this has gone on for way longer than I thought, but that's okay. So, that report card could have been written by anyone. It could have been written by... um someone Jason was friends with, a colleague, you know, anyone who was working there. And he said, you know, can you please just sign me in? Like, I'll explain later, something like that. And the handwriting actually didn't identify with Jason's handwriting. I know. So not only was it handwritten instead of typed, it didn't actually match, which is crazy. Like, why did it not match then? It made no sense. So also the fact that, so this is a really weak alibi. Like, I mean, it can't really be disproved, but it is very weak, so it can be, you know, played around a bit with. Jason had a lot of experience with violent tendencies with the incidents with his ex-girlfriend and his current girlfriend, then he breaking her back, chopping her hair off with knives, and, you know, threatening his boss with a knife. So he was clearly violent. He had a rage disorder, you know, he said that he was going to snap, he had aggressive outbreaks, violent tendencies. But with OJ, there's no biological explanation that we know of right now, as to why he would be so keen to, you know, kill Nicole. Obviously, there's the case of spousal abuse. So we know OJ was aggressive, but that an aggressive person doesn't make a killer. You know, I know people who've got, you know, anger issues, but I don't think they'd kill someone. And, you know, obviously, that's a bit of a, it's a thin line to tread, like, very controversial, but there's no medical evidence to explain OJ's tendencies unless obviously it was CT but we'll never know until it's after his death but that but Jason had a diagnosed rage disorder there's you know controversially more evidence that points to Jason with you know less out outlining it so and the black knitted heart so it had DNA evidence in it and it was pictured by Jason and OJ had also worn it before but it was Jason's hat. So the DNA evidence could easily have been Jason's instead of OJ's due to to their connection by blood. And there's a theory that OJ wasn't present at the house when the limo driver buzzed the intercom that night because he was actually at the crime scene, OJ I mean, helping his son. So, you know, maybe Jason had called up and said, Dad, like, I've done something awful, like, you need to come help me. And obviously you're going to protect your kids no matter what. I mean... You know, it's a bit controversial. Maybe you wouldn't if they'd just killed your ex-wife. But, you know, certain thing, parenthood works in mysterious ways. That's all I'm going to say to that. And with um, this evidence, it shows that OJ could have been just covering up the murders that were actually just committed by his son, Jason. I mean, he would still be an accomplice then. He'd still be guilty of something, but he wouldn't be guilty of the actual murders. So there was so much evidence at the crime scene as OJ and Jason didn't have time to clean up the remaining blood gloves hat because obviously OJ would have remembered that the limo driver was waiting for him and if he didn't return home then obviously Parker, the limo driver, would have told police that OJ Simpson wasn't in which would make OJ look guilty which is why, you know, it happened so quick. Like, OJ only got home at, you know, quarter to ten and then by quarter past ten the murders had happened so that's within half an hour and obviously OJ returned home by eleven and there was, you know no like clean up or anything so 
This explains why there was, you know, such erratic behaviour afterwards as well, because he felt such guilt and he didn't want his son to be convicted. So it would explain why OJ didn't come out and say it was actually my son, but it also explains why he said not guilty for so long and has never admitted it. And also, there's so much evidence would have been left at the crime scene because the dog started barking, so Jason or OJ could have, you know, ran and think, oh my God, like, someone's gonna come out in a minute and see me here. Also, there's the theory that the glove was actually planted by Detective Mark Furman and the suspicious noises around the back of where he was staying could have been Mark Furman. Because, let's be honest, the glove was left so obviously out in the open and if OJ really wanted to hide the glove, surely he would have chose a spot that, you know, behind a bin that wasn't, like, at the back of the house, just in the open with blood on it. It doesn't make any sense. If OJ wanted to get away with this, he was going to need to, you know, hide it under a bin, in the bin, in the soil, bury it, anything. So this is one part of the trial I've always had to go back and forth on because Mark Furman planting the glove changed the entire trial because obviously he would have to be extremely careful not to contaminate the glove with his own DNA, but he could use gloves. I mean, they always have gloves on them. He also would have not needed to have been seen by anybody and not leave any signs of presence behind. So it's extremely difficult for Furman to pull this off, but it's not completely impossible for him to frame OJ Simpson or Jason. I mean, obviously he was trying to film um, OJ, but you never know. And obviously this theory is really circumstantial and there's no clear motive apart from the anger issues. Well, I mean, he didn't like Nicole, but doesn't mean he didn't want to kill her. And yeah, we will probably never know who killed Nicole Brown and Ronald Goldman unless new evidence comes to light. Or, you know, the way the the LAPD handled the old evidence comes to light. And question still remains. So if OG wasn't the murderer, the question still stands... Who killed Nicole Brown and Ronald Goldman? We will never know. I guess we'll never know. So that was the OJ Simpson case. Clearly you can hear like how passionate I am about it. And if you want to read any more about it or anything, like the most important thing to watch is the Louis Vuitton bag on YouTube. Oh my God, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I absolutely love um, reading about that as well. It's so interesting. So I would highly recommend going and watching that but that's it for this week i will see you next saturday for another podcast with yours truly and yeah thank you so much for listening see you later alligator i hope you learned loads of new fun things today bit of a dark you know um case but it's actually really depressing reading about it because poor nicole and poor ron never got justice and neither neither did their families And it's important to note that Ronald Goldman's family and Nicole's family both thought that OJ was guilty. I mean, what do I think? I don't know. I mean, it's very clearly the evidence points towards OJ, but I do think that the Jason Simpson one is very, you know, important to know. I don't think that OJ's innocent. I definitely think he had a part in it, but I don't know if it was him that murdered him. And that's a very unpopular opinion. But I just think when you look at all the evidence, like... And, you know, the racism in the LEPD, which obviously is very controversial. But I think that it's really important to note the Jason Simpson theory. If you want to look more about that, look more about it. The guy, if you don't remember, was called Bill Deer. And his book is uh, called OJ is Innocent and I Can Prove It. 
and it's so interesting i've read it it's brilliant i've read oj simpson versus the people i've watched the tv show like i've watched everything on it so if you're interested go for it it's so interesting and so good so yep i will see you next week and if anyone's got any case suggestions for me they want to do a bit like this or you like this one let me know and i want to hear your theories as well so let me know what you think about this case okay see you next week bye